You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, Pastor Van Moody explores the importance of unity and how it affects our individual lives as well as the church as a whole. Let's get started. I want to ask you to open your Bibles or open your TWC app. Um, We have been journeying through a series of teaching entitled All In, hence the opening video, and we really broke this series into two parts. We started with this theme of being all in at the beginning of the year, and we began to examine scripture um, to understand that being all in uh, requires greater commitment, but then we picked up part two of this series here in the month of August. Uh, And we have been um, studying scripture and recognizing that also being all in means that we uh, have to be people of greater unity. Somebody say unity. And so I want to call your attention um, back to where we left off on last week. On on last week, we started looking at Matthew chapter 18, and I honestly didn't get very far um, into that chapter. I was talking to my wife about about this. Um, I had intended when... When the Lord said, okay, this is one of the, the scriptures that you've got to unpack and deal with in this series, I was intending to only deal with a part of Matthew 18, and then the more I got into it, the more I recognized that the Lord was really calling for me to deal with so much more in Matthew 18 than I had originally planned. So I want to call your attention back to Matthew 18 for the sake of our guest each week. Um, Our teaching notes, our scriptures, our points are always out on our TWC app. And so, uh, TWC family, if you're sitting near someone that doesn't have the TWC app, show them very quickly how they can download the app from any app store and uh, follow along with us. Um, I believe that this is one of those series, and in particular, this is one of those teachings that you may have to refer back to in your quiet time with the Lord, or you may just want to share with others. And so you can fill in the blanks in the app and send the the notes to uh, those that you feel like would benefit from Um, this word as well. Matthew 18 and verse 15, Jesus is talking to the disciples and the theme is unity. And he says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear Take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Uh, I will unpack that as we did on last week in a moment. But assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So let me give you part two of part two. We're in part two of this teaching series on all in. But on last week, we began to look at Matthew 18 with this uh, thought, the drama is worth it. And I want to give you part two of that today as we go further into studying this passage. Look at someone around you and just uh, repeat that. Tell them the drama is worth it. (laughs) May not feel like it at times, but it is worth it. We began uh, on last week, and let me give just a quick review so that um, we can all kind of pick up where we left off together. Let me give a quick review. We began uh, studying Matthew 18 with the understanding that relationships with people are not always easy. That the undeniable truth of life is that uh, most of our hurt and our disappointments and our stress, our brokenness, anger, frustration, a lot of um, emotions that make life difficult often can be traced back to a person or particular people in general. And this is often why when we encounter difficult people or when we find ourselves in situations where maybe we feel like people have made the situation far more difficult than it needs to be, it often appears easier to simply just withdraw from those people, uh, sever our relationships with them, remove ourselves from those relational difficulties and realities, 
And often we do it because our desire sincerely is to minimize the drama in our lives. But unfortunately, that, that is the impetus. That is the motivation for which many people end up leaving marriages or leaving friendships, leave God-ordained relationships or even God-ordained places of purpose simply because their desire is, I don't want the drama. I want to minimize it to the best of my ability. Mary J. Blige even had a song, No More Drama. And so we, we make these decisions largely because the desire is for us to minimize the drama in our lives. And while it does at times seem easier to make that decision and to withdraw, to sever certain relationships in an attempt to minimize the drama in our lives, I hope that you recognize by now as we have been studying what the Word of God has to say about unity, I hope that you understand that when it comes to God and how he feels about this, maintaining unity with those people, yes, those difficult people or those difficult relationships and realities, while it may not be easy for us, it is of paramount importance to God. What we've been looking at throughout this series, even starting in the book of Genesis and looking at it in varieties of, of passages and books of Scripture, is that unity is of the utmost importance to God. Genesis chapter 1 is very clear that it is only in the place of unity where God commands the greater blessing. Psalm 133 talks about the exact same thing. And so while sometimes it's easy for us to disconnect and sever relationships with the desire to minimize the drama, when it comes to how God feels about it, God doesn't require us or even desire for us to follow that course of action. Instead, his will is the exact opposite, that we do whatever needs to be done to maintain the unity that has been established in Jesus Christ. Unity is so important to God that I shared on last week that on several occasions in the Gospels, in fact, Jesus literally teaches that even if you're doing something spiritual and significant and deep and really important, if you realize that you have an issue with your brother and sister, Jesus literally says, Stop doing what you're doing. If you're praying, stop praying. If you're bringing your, your offering to the altar, don't do that. He says, stop what you're doing. Go be reconciled with your brother and sister and then come back. Because unity is that important, is that important to Jesus. And part of the reason that I believe we've overlooked this issue of unity and really kind of minimized it and felt like it's no big deal is because I really believe that we have been led astray with this messed up mentality of the world. The world's mentality is very individualistic. It's about me, myself, and I. And so often we buy into that and we think that as long as we are fine, as long as we are okay, then that's all that matters. And quite honestly, many people today um, live a very, very selfish and individualistic lifestyle because everything we believe revolves around us. It should revolve around us. It's just about you. That's the way that we often live our lives. But that is not God's way. As a matter of fact, when it comes to being a believer, when it comes to being a Christian, the undeniable reality is that your life is not just about you. That part of the essence of what it means to be a believer is that we are bound together in community. This is why when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. The very first line is he says, this is how you're supposed to pray. Our father. He's not just your father. He's our father. But part of the undeniable reality of being a believer is that we are bound together in community. That God cares not just about you individually but he cares about the community as a whole. That's why Jesus takes literally the entire chapter of Matthew 18 to teach us that the drama is worth it. And I shared on last week that in order to really understand the heart of what Jesus is dealing with in Matthew 18, it's important that you also understand that Matthew writes his gospel from a different perspective than Mark and Luke and John. Part of the, the, the importance with which Matthew is writing is because he wants us to understand that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world is ruled by Satan, the devil, but the kingdom of God, hence the name, the kingdom of God is the reign and rule and order of God. 
And the kingdom of God operates by different rules than the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of this world operates by individualism and selfishness and focus only on you and and step on whoever you need to step on to get what you need to get. The kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. The most important rule in the kingdom of God is love. The kingdom of God is driven, flows, operates by love. And this is important because we want the benefits of the kingdom of God, but often we try to get those benefits by going about them the wrong way. We, we still are operating in many instances by virtue of the kingdom of the world, but we want kingdom of God benefits. This is why Jesus is teaching about the importance of unity in Matthew 18. And just by way of a quick review, we looked at last week that Jesus, number one, Starts off Matthew 18 by teaching us that unity requires humility. The backdrop of Matthew 18 is that the disciples are arguing over which one of them is the greatest. Peter thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread because he got out the boat, he walked on water, he saw Jesus transfigured, he had his taxes miraculously paid, coins literally were in the mouth of a fish. And so there's this argument and the disciples are asking Jesus, which one of us are going to be the greatest? And Matthew 18 opens up when Jesus says, okay, well, he pulls this child in the midst of them and says, listen, unless you become like this child, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Meaning you've got to be humble. That instead of being people of pride and arrogance, we've got to be people of humility. Proverbs 13 and 10 literally says, and we dealt with this last week, that pride leads to conflict. Wherever there's conflict relationally, wherever there's strife relationally, when you begin to pull that thread and get to the root of the issue, it's going to come back to pride. So the first thing that Jesus teaches is that if we're going to maintain unity in our marriages, in in the places where God called us to be, it first of all requires that we are people of humility. But the second thing, by way of review, that we dealt with, and this is where we ended on last Sunday, is that humility is the first thing that's got to happen. But then secondly, there has to be honesty. Because then Jesus recognizes that the disciples are arguing. He says, you first have got to be humble. But then he says, but in the event that there's disagreements in your marriage, in your relationships, on your job, personally, he says, in the event that there are disagreements, there has to be honesty. There's a way that you are supposed to deal with those disagreements. He says, if a fellow believer hurts you or disappoints you, he says, you're supposed to go to them personally and work it out between them. He says, and you're supposed to go with the right attitude. The right attitude is not to win the argument. The right attitude is to win your brother and sister. Because you can win the argument and lose your brother and sister. And so many of us, have sacrificed things that are precious to us and precious to God on the altar of being right. And then he says, if your brother won't receive you, if your sister won't receive you, when you go to them personally, he says, then take two or three others. Don't take two or three others that you just want to co-sign on what you want to get across. Take two or three other people that are believers, that are rooted in Christ, because the point is we all have blind spots. There is the possibility that maybe you looked at this thing totally wrong or there is the possibility that this person did something and they had no understanding of how what they did affected you. And and so even if they don't see it, if the two or three witnesses have observed that same kind of thing, then Jesus says, take them so that once again, it's not about you winning an argument. It's about you winning your brother and your sister. And then he says, and if they won't receive people from the church, he says, then you have to start over. That's what it means when he says treat him like a heathen or a tax collector. Doesn't mean that you just say good riddance, peace, you know, holla at you, you know, may the Lord watch between me and me, all that kind of stuff. No, he says, in other words, start over. Don't assume that they understand then how this should be handled. Treat them like an unbeliever and offer God's forgiving love is what one translation says um, all over again. That's where we ended on last Sunday. And I share it with you that I really believe that that it was the will of God that we didn't get any further. And I got to be honest with you and tell you that, uh, man, this week for me personally has been a week of major attacks. And uh, often I've learned in the 20 plus years of preaching that uh, often the way that you know that um, you're leaning in the area where God wants to bring really significant breakthrough. You know it by virtue of the level of attack that you come under when you begin to deal with it. 
And, and so, you know, maybe this was your reality or maybe it was mine alone. But I'm telling you, after teaching that word on last Sunday, it just seemed like all manner of attacks started coming at me. And I, and I believe it's because this is where we miss it. But this is so important to God. So let's pick up where we left off on last Sunday. Jesus starts off by saying that unity requires humility. Secondly, it requires honesty. But then after that, number three, it requires forgiveness. It requires forgiveness. Because all of this talk about unity is what prompts Peter to ask Jesus this question about how often or how many times then do I have to forgive my brother? And the point before I even show this to you in the scriptures that Jesus is, is making here is that unless humility and honesty results in forgiveness, you won't be able to maintain unity in your relationships. There's got to be humility. There has to be honesty. But then guess what? There has to be forgiveness. So pick me up at Matthew 18 and let's start at verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and said, now, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Peter's trying to be deep. He knows that seven is the number of completion. And so he says, all right, I get it. Seven times, right? That's all I need. And Jesus answered and said, well, no, I, know. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. The literal translation is 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, here he goes again with this kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven talk, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And as, begun, as, as he begun the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold is what one translation says. I'll, I'll share with you the other translations in just a second in the currency exchange. But it says it's like a man who owed 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servants in and he said to him, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all of the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, here's the kicker. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Got to deal with this. So Peter hears all of this talk about unity. Okay, Jesus, I got it. I got to be humble. Okay, okay, okay. All right, I got to be honest. If my brother offends me, if my sister offends me, I've got to go to them and I've got to handle it a certain way. So then he says, all right, so then just how long, Jesus? I mean, I mean, how many times do I have to forgive this dude? Seven times, right? All right, he's thinking in his mind, I've already done that. Jesus says, well, no, actually it's 70 times seven, 490 if you're doing the math. What's the point? Jesus is saying there ought to be no limit. To how many times do you forgive? If you are a literal person and you're trying to figure out that, what does that mean? If it's 490 times, that literally means if that's the kind of way you're wired, it means every three minutes. Every three minutes, you ought to be forgiving somebody. And that's about the rate at which we need it, right? You know, just walking out to the car, Lord Jesus. You know, every three minutes, in other words, you ought to be forgiving someone. And then Jesus teaches this parable about the kingdom of God. He's saying yet again, this is how the kingdom of God works because the disciples haven't gotten the memo yet. They're still operating by virtue of the world's standards. This is why Peter thinks, well, if I've forgiven him a number of times, that ought to be enough, right? And Jesus is like, no, let me help you understand how the kingdom of God works. And so he tells this parable. And let me give you the cliff notes or the key to understanding this parable. The wealthy ruler in this parable is God. And both of the servants in this parable is us. So... God, the wealthy ruler, decided to settle accounts 
with two servants who owed him money. One translation says a servant owed him, you know, several bags of gold. The literal translation of that is 10,000 talents. That's an astronomical amount of money. This servant didn't have the, the ability to repay. He says, give me time, I'll pay it back. And the heart of the wealthy ruler was moved with compassion, and he forgave this man's entire debt. Now, we look at this from a contemporary lens, and we have no idea how significant this action is. And so I want to break down and do the currency exchange for you. In Jesus' day, one talent equaled 60 mina. One mina, one mina was the equivalent of three months of wages. This guy owed 10,000 talents. All right. One talent was worth 180 months wages or 15 years of wages. One talent, 60 mina. 60 mina, you got it? All right. One mina was the equivalent of three months wages. So this guy owed 10,000 talents. One talent is worth 180 months or 15 years wages. So do the math. 10,000 talents is 150,000 years of wages. So he says, please give me time. I'll repay it. No, boo, you're not going to have 150,000 years. There's no way. So now let's look at what that means in terms of money. By virtue of the median income, that figure translated into our currency now, in terms of the value of the dollar now, 10,000 talents is roughly translated into 7.5 billion, with a B, dollars in today's standards. So this guy owed the wealthy ruler 7.5 billion with a B dollars. That was his debt. And the wealthy ruler forgave that debt immediately. He just forgave it. 7.5 billion. What a gift. What a gift. Now, we might think that this guy being forgiven a debt of 7.5 billion would run out and would be appreciative and would be looking for anybody that he could to forgive their debt. I don't know why Holy Spirit just gave me a flashback of Eddie Murphy and coming to America when he was, you know, in love. You know, to be loved, to be loved. You know, when he's running through the streets because he was just that. That's kind of how the guy should have been running out. Oh, who can I forgive? Because, because the servant just forgave 7.5 he was forgiven, rather, $7.5 billion by the, wealthy, by the wealthy ruler. But incredibly, watch this. The forgiven man running out, and he's not singing, to be loved, to be loved, oh, what a feeling. He runs out and finds another dude who owes him some money. But this time, what this guy owed him, one translation says some bags of silver. The literal translation is 100 denarii. All right. A denarii equal one day's pay. So the debt was 100 denarii or 100 days of wages, which in our economy is roughly about $17,000 if you translate it from then to today. So this guy who owes this other servant 17000 says the exact same thing. Give me time to repay. And truthfully, he could have repaid that. It would have taken some, some time, but he could have repaid it. But instead of treating this guy the way that he was treated. One translation says he starts choking the dude. Right? And put the guy in prison. Said, you're going to be in prison until you pay me. So now let's think about this. This guy was forgiven $7.5 billion, But he won't forgive somebody else for 17000 so incredibly, the one who had been forgiven an insurmountable amount of money refused to forgive somebody because they had a manageable debt. And this is the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, Peter, you're asking me this question. How many times should you forgive someone? You don't understand that you've been forgiven an insurmountable amount. So, so when you start comparing what you've been forgiven versus how you should forgive others... He's saying you, you can't even compare it. And so often we treat this, we treat people the way to this servant. 
treated this other guy. We, 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 we nitpick. We find everything that's wrong with somebody. We find every reason to throw them away. We find every reason. Oh, I'm not a fan. I mean, we, we, we treat people like they are disposable. Let them do one thing that we don't like. We throw them away. Let them say one thing we don't like. Let, let them make a decision that we don't even understand. And we will blast them. Throw dirt on them. Bury them. Never shall they return. In our mind, I am done. Exactly. But yet, that's not how God treated us. And, and here's the point. When you don't forgive others, it's evident that you don't really fully recognize and appreciate how much you have been forgiven. I don't know the last time that you just reflected on how ratchet you really are. I, 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 don't, I don't know the last time that you have just reflected on that and just, and just came to a level of appreciation about how, how toe up from the flow up, you really, I know we look good. Ladies, I know we got our pearls on. I know we drive nice. I know we live nice. But when's the last time that you just really said, God, I just got to be honest. Wow, I got some issues, but you have forgiven me and you love me. Because if you haven't done that, or if you don't do that on a consistent basis, you will think that you have reason enough to not forgive somebody else. When the truth is, God is saying, whoa, hold up. Hold up. Oh, so you're going off on them for that. Well, let's replay the tape. So watching college football last night. Don't you, don't you, aren't you appreciative that God doesn't have instant replay? You know, I mean, he has it, but don't, aren't you glad that he doesn't say, let me just pause your existence right now. Let's replay the tape. Let's review that. And here's what's so challenging about this. At the end of Jesus telling this parable in verse 35, he says, this is how my heavenly father is going to treat each of you if you don't forgive your brother. Because you remember what happens when the guy who was forgiven 7.5 billion didn't forgive the guy who owed him 17,000. The wealthy ruler threw him in prison and, and gave him over to be tortured. And that's the sticking point. Jesus says, so shall my heavenly father also do to each of you if you don't forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Jesus is saying, get this, that when we refuse to forgive others, that God says, well, I will just allow you to be tortured and tormented. Now, let me clarify. God does not torture or torment any of us. That is not the heart of who he is. But Jesus is saying that if we will not forgive others, that God will withhold his peace and that God will allow us to be tortured and tormented because we are still harboring unforgiveness in our heart. And the truth is that their marriages that are tortured and tormented. There is no peace because there won't be any forgiveness. There, there are relational realities, whether it's on your job or whether it's with friendships, where, where you're tortured. You don't have the peace of God. You, that you're uneasy about things because there's been no forgiveness. So Jesus, Jesus says that, that if we're going to maintain unity, there has to be humility. Yes, Peter, you got to be humble. There has to be honesty. Go to your brother. Handle it the right way. Don't go to Snapchat and Twitter and start blasting him. Handle it the right way. But then you've ultimately got to forgive. But he doesn't finish with that. He then goes on to help us to understand how critical unity is that without unity, without unity, there's, there's going to be a hinder or a blockage in some of the transformation that you and I desperately want to see God bring about in our lives. For a matter of fact, uh, as a matter of fact, rather, without unity, there is no transformative presence, number one. Without unity, there's no transformative presence. Let's go back to Matthew 18. He says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Oh, this is so good. Lord, I love your word. Now, God's word is very clear that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The kingdom of God is within us. The presence of God dwells within us. So by yourself, yes, you can encounter the presence of God. 
But there is a difference between when you exclusively, you know, handle your relationship with God individually and when you join the corporate body. Yes, when I go into my prayer time with the Lord individually, yes, I can commune with him, have, have great time with him. But it's different when I gather with the believers. In a group, there's a different kind of presence. There's a transformative presence of God corporately that I don't experience individually. I, I've, got, I've got praise and worship music on my phone. When I get up, have my time with the Lord, I listen to it, put my headphones on. But, but there, was, there was a healing and a peace. I, when Brittany uh, came down from the stage, I just hugged her and said, I appreciate your ministry. Because as she was ministering and as the praise and worship ministry was, was ministering, there were things happening in my heart that I desperately needed that I wouldn't get and can't get by myself. Are you following me? But Jesus says, but when you come together, when you gather together corporately, if it's if it's a husband and wife, if it's a couple of friends saying, come on, let's pray together. Let's agree on something. He's saying there has to be agreement or there won't be that kind of presence. That word agree is symphoneo in the Greek. It's the Greek word from which we get the English word symphony. The, the worship team is going to come and help me illustrate this because if you've ever been to the symphony, you know that um, there's, there are different instruments. You've got the oboe, you've got the flute, you've got the cello, you've got, you got the bass, you've got, you got a number of different instruments in the symphony. But when they come together and when they agree, they make music that sounds amazing. And so what Jesus is literally teaching is that when you come together, whether it's two or three of you, whether it's you and your husband and you and your wife and you guys say, OK, we're going to pray and we're going to touch and agree. And, and, and he says, in other words, when you come together and agree, sumphaneo, he's saying that God is listening for sound of agreement. He says that's what God is listening for. So so the worship team, you got to sing a little bit, a little bit of, I guess, Jesus, Jesus or Jesus, I love you. Sing, sing something for us. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, all right, all right. Stop, time, 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 time. We can't take that too much. <laughs> but here's the point they're on the stage and they're singing. They sound terrible. <laughs> right. They sound terrible because there's no agreement. And, and this, is, this, is, this is what it sounds like to God when, when married couples are together under the same house, same roof, but there's no agreement. This is, this is what it sounds like to God when you say, okay, we're going to do this together, but you got your own agenda and somebody else has got their own agenda. And, and he's saying, I, I want to come. I want my presence to rest with you, but I'm listening for a sound of agreement and I can't rest in that kind of environment. My presence can't come in that kind of environment. So, so let's try that again. Let's try to, let's try to get some agreement to that. Doesn't that sound better? Hallelujah. So, so now they're all singing in unison. And so, so God hears that. He says, I want to be in that. I want to be in that. That's, that's where my presence will rest and dwell. When that's the sound coming from your house. When that's the sound that comes from your job or your career or your business. If you own, own it. When that's the sound, God says, I want to rest in that. That's what Jesus means when he says, and if you come together and you agree, he says, my presence is there. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but, but, but Bishop, we won't always see eye to eye on everything. We won't, we won't always be walking in step on everything. True. But you can still have agreement and have harmony even when they're different perspectives. So now they're getting ready to sing, but they're going to sing in three-part harmony. What does that sound like? 
Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Here's the point. We don't always have to see eye to eye on everything. But if we're willing to be humble, if we're willing to be honest and forgive one another, you can be saying a different part. But if we're still headed in the same direction, there can still be a symphony. And that's what God is listening for. Oh, I'm teaching better than you're responding. Jesus says, he says, I'm, I'm listening for sound. And when I hear that sound, when you agree on earth concerning anything, it'll be done. He says, and, and when two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst of them when I hear that sound. And I don't know who this is for. Thank you. But, but, but maybe in your home, maybe you've been trying to get consensus. Maybe you've been trying to get on the same page. And maybe it's about, well, where are we trying to go? And maybe if we don't agree on the the same route to get there, but we know that that's the destination we need to get to, we can still get there and work on getting to agreement in a variety of other ways. But what I want you to understand is that that's the sound, the second or the third one, not the first sound. And we have been stuck with that first sound. Marriages are falling apart with that first sound. Friendships are being Split and fracturing because of that first sound. Because we want what we want, the way we want it, how we want it, when we want it, and often neither do the two agree. So without unity, there's no transformative presence. Jesus says, I can't come into that environment. I'm listening for sound. I got to hurry up. I'm, I'm out of time. But he says, he says, but also without unity, there is no transformative prayer. We just ended 21 days of prayer on yesterday, but I really think that this this is the ending that God had in mind. Because without unity, there's no transformative prayer. We can pray all day, but, but the question is, are your prayers getting beyond the roof of your car? And for an example, Psalm 66 and 18 says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So a lot of times we get in a posture to pray But because we still got issues with our brother and our sister in our heart, God can't hear our prayers. So we may come to pray, but we may have left never having prayed at all. We may have uttered the words, but but there was no connection to heaven. And Jesus stresses this again in Matthew 18 in verse 18. He says, surely I say to you, watch this. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now he's talking about the importance of, of unity in prayer. And I got to see if I can unpack this really quickly. Y'all still with me? Is this all right? Is this helping you? He says, listen, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you, talking about when you come together and agree, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The point that Jesus is making is that in some instances, earth moves heaven. In some instances, earth initiates an action. And when earth initiates this action, there is a corresponding reaction that comes from heaven. This is so good. It literally means that sometimes God will wait Until people come together in unity and pray and agree before he works. I know that this is a new concept for some of you. I got several scriptures. I can't show them all to you. So let me just show one to you. This is this is all throughout the Bible. But I just want to show one scripture to you. Can I show that to you? Ezekiel 36 and verse 33. They're going to put it up on the screen. It's in your notes as well. And it says this. Thus says the Lord God on the day that I cleanse you. From all of your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left All around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Let me pause here and explain this. God is saying 
to the nation of Israel in exile. I'm going to restore. I'm going to rebuild. God says, I've got a plan and a purpose in mind. And, and the places that were ruined and the desolate, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. I'm going to take you from, from nothing to something. I'm going to, I'm going to rebuild you. I'm going to restore you. Your ladder shall be greater than your past. Are you following me? But then let's continue on. Thus says the Lord God. I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like flock, like flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Let me break this down. God has a purpose for the nation of Israel. He says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to take that which was desolate. It's going to be beautiful again. But then he says, but I'm going to wait until the nation of Israel prays together in order for it to be done. He says, I have a plan. I have a purpose. I have a will in mind. It is to bless. It is to favor. It is to restore. He says, but I'm going to wait. I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to wait until the nation of Israel prays for me to do that thing. And then when they come together and pray for me to do that thing, that's when I'm going to do it. Did you get it? Did I say it too fast? Even though God has a purpose, even though God desires to do a thing, he says, I'm not going to do it immediately. He says, I'm going to wait until y'all come into agreement and pray before he moves. What are you trying to teach us, Bishop? There's some things that God just won't go ahead and do. But he will wait until you come together with your spouse or come together with your coworkers or come together with your church family and agree in prayer before he moves. Hallelujah. It's kind of like this. God's will and God's purpose is like a train. And you all know this. A train can go wherever the train wants to go as long as there are tracks that the train can run on. That's what agreement in prayer does. But here's the thing. In order for a train to run appropriately on tracks, one track can't be going this way and another track can't be going that way. And so some of us are wondering, well, God, when are you going to do it? He's, he's like, I got a plan. I have a purpose. But I don't have tracks to run on because you don't agree. Because your will goes over here and your will goes over here. What do you want? When are you going to come together and agree and lay down parallel tracks going in the same direction so that the train of my will and the train of my purpose, the train of my blessings can run on. Hallelujah. I don't know who this is for. It is not that God is not powerful enough to handle that situation. It's that we haven't provided rails for the train of his glory to run on. And it makes you wonder how many things have we missed out on because we haven't laid down enough rails for the train of God's glory to run on. How many things in your marriage, how many things in your career are stored up in the train depot of God's will, if you, if, if, if you understand what I'm saying? And it hasn't, it hasn't flowed out because, because we haven't set the parallel tracks. We're so busy laying down tracks over here and tracks over there and tracks on here and I mean... You guys will catch that, yes. You catch it later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Amen. You can be holy and laugh. Come on, y'all. But, but, but it does make you wonder that. It does make you wonder. Here's the last thing, and I'm going to close with this, and we're going to close this message in, in a very special way. Jesus says, if you're going to maintain unity, it requires humility, it requires honesty, it does require forgiveness. But if there's, if there's not going to be unity, no that there's, there's not going to be transformative presence. There's not going to be transformative prayer. But Minister King, here's a big one. There's also not going to be transformative power. In Mark 11 and in verse 22, Jesus says this. He says, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you that if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, 
and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Here it is. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may also forgive you. I have to be honest and tell you that as I was preparing for this series and studying everything that that, that God had to say about unity, I was deeply convicted. Part of why I ended up in these two weeks teaching all of Matthew 18 instead of that one section was because the more I studied this and the more I studied this, the more Holy Spirit continued to give me greater revelation and greater revelation. And I came to Mark 11 because I used to quote this verse with the understanding That all I needed was faith to speak to those mountains. In Jewish history and in Jewish culture, a mountain is any big thing, any, 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 you know, huge obstacle in your way. And so I used to believe that if 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 I have faith and I pray and I don't doubt in my heart, then 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 I can speak to that mountain. It could be a mountain of cancer, it could be a mountain of an organizational issue, and I can say, mountain be removed, and God will do it. But God said, but wait a minute, go back and unpack that. He says, because remember, the context of this is I'm talking about agreement. And that's why he says it. And then he ends by saying, and if you stand praying and you know why you're praying that you have an issue in your heart towards your brother and sister, he says, you got to stop that and you got to go get that right. See, Galatians 5 and 6 says what's important is faith expressed through love. Meaning, I used to think that, that the greatest way, Minister King, is to, is to have more faith and to believe God for the greater. But one of the greatest ways we demonstrate faith is when we walk in love with other people. Ooh, I'm, I'm teaching better than you responded. Even when they're ugly and cantankerous and, 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 and it's easy for you to say, forget you. But when you still walk in love with him, you express in faith that God can still redeem that person. God can still redeem that marriage. He can still redeem that relationship. And the problem is... There are mountains in our lives that we need God to move and we've been speaking, but the mountain has not been moving because there's still issues of lack of unity in our hearts. And so the point is, you, you, you can't you can't speak to your mountain, mountain of cancer. You can't speak to your mountain, your mountain of God, I'm trying to start this job. But I don't know what to do. Uh, I can't start this business. God, you can't speak to that mountain effectively. You can speak all day, but I'm talking about effective transformation. I'm talking about that mountain being removed and at the same time still have an issue in your heart against your brother and your sister. Jesus says without unity, there will be no transformative power. And what we need in our communities, what we need is power. We, we We don't need church for the sake of saying we had a good time. We need the power of God. Our kids are being killed. Our communities are crumbling. We need the power of God. But Jesus says, there'll be no power if there is no unity. I'm going to close with this, and then I want to give you some instructions for how we're going to close. There was a lady years and years and years ago who lived out in the boondocks, a little country town. She didn't have electricity. And when the dawn of electricity started spreading across the country, she wanted it. And so she reached out to her electric company. She said, I would like some electricity. And they made arrangements so that a line could be brought all the way out to her remote location. So she could have electricity. So she could have the benefits of electricity. And so that's what the electric company did, the power company. They they, they brought a line out. They made arrangements to bring a line out all the way to her remote location so that she could have electricity, and and they did. They hooked her up, and then after delivering electricity to her home for almost six months, somebody at the power company noticed that she had only used in six months one unit of electricity. And so they said, well, wait a minute now. We know she needed it. We, we, We set her up so she could get it. Why in the world then in six months has this woman only used one unit? So they thought, well, maybe something's wrong. Maybe there's a problem in the connection. So they sent a serviceman out to her house and the serviceman got out there and knocked on the door or rang the doorbell and and she came to the door and he said hi ma'am I'm from I'm from the power company can I ask you are you using your electricity he says because we've been looking at your your usage 
And in six months, you've only used one unit. So are you are you using it? Is it functioning correctly? She said, yes, yes, I'm using it. Thank you. And the serviceman said, well, well, OK, um, well, what are you using it for? Because we only see one unit in six months. She said, oh, yes. Well, when, when it gets dark, when the sun goes down, I, I turn on the power long enough for me to light my kerosene lamp. Then I turn it off. Meaning the woman didn't understand the power she had. She had all of this power to keep things running all night long, but she was settling for a kerosene existence. And what I'm trying to tell you is we got kerosene churches, kerosene marriages, kerosene companies, because we're not fully activated by virtue of the power that we can have from God because there's no unity. Because there's no unity. We're tapping into just a small fraction of what God has for us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want a kerosene marriage. I don't want a kerosene church. I don't want, I don't want kerosene relationships. I want the power of God. I want God to pour out his glory, to pour out his presence, to radically touch the lives of our kids and our communities like never before, to heal marriages, to restore that which is broken. But he can't do it apart from unity. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.